Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. The book of Acts chapter 9. If you're with us for the first time, we like to go through the Bible in a fun way, and that is systematically or verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we don't ever want to take anything out of context. We don't want to cherry pick our verses. And I think we started the book of Acts in May, and we've only gotten this far. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And all of my Seminary classes, they would tell us that you don't want to do a a sermon series for more than four to six weeks or you lose interest, but grow up. So here we are. Um, I love love what the Bible tells us, and I feel from the bottom of my heart that this this method that we're doing and how we're walking through this is beneficial. Um, It gets us all on the same page. And then at the same time, can I tell you, if you have social media at all, Everybody who has social media, uh, whether it's on TikTok or if it's on uh, Instagram or Facebook, they lay out their opinions as if they are true. And there are a lot of cuckoos out there who see somebody's post and see somebody else's post, and then they go, if I marry those two posts together, and then the next thing you know, we've got an alien invasion that's taken place, and it's, uh, they, would, they would communicate the rapture as if we're getting sucked up by aliens. So... Um, That'd be a cool twist, though. All right, so here we are. Uh, We're going to go into Acts chapter 9 and see where we are here. Uh, We started off in Acts chapter 9, or left off, uh, with a man named Ananias who was baptized, who was, um, had a vision of a man named Saul who was blind. And and Jesus tells him to go and to um, minister to him. In fact, the word says this in verse 11 of chapter 9. Lauren will put it on the screen here. It says, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, Ananias, and coming to him, putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord says, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings and children of Israel, for I will show him many things that he must suffer for my sake. Jesus uh, shows Ananias his plans, and his plans are this. His plans are to send him to do what? Lay hands and help him get his sight and transition him back into, transition him into the kingdom of God. Verse 17 starts off like this, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house And laying his hands on him, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 says this, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Go back to verse 17. I I love this passage here because it has an indication. Because the verses before this tell us that Ananias is uh, very excited about Saul. 
And no, he says, God, do you not know who you're talking about here? This is the man who has bound our people and is continuing to bound our people. But the Holy Spirit through Jesus says to go and, and, and receive his sight. And what is the thing that Ananias does? How does he start off this whole thing? It says this, and when he entered in the house, he laid hands on him. Not in the fun way. Not in the way he wanted to. He didn't get to catch any hands and while he was blind, get a couple of licks in. No, he laid hands on him. And what's crazy is this, is you see a man who is completely demoralized, who has been torn down to his very core because everything he thought, believed, and taught on has now come out to be a lie. And Jesus knocked him on his behind. And for the first time in his life, he has no idea which way is up, both literally and, and, and metaphorically, because he cannot see anything and he's laying there and then all of a sudden he hears a voice and that voice calls out one phrase brother Saul think about that phrase for just a second two verses ago you're petrified of this man but the Holy Spirit says this is one of mine and instead of saying hey you dirtbag he goes brother Saul what if we began to act like that same thing? What if instead of us going through these big separation periods of, oh, you said a prayer, well, we're going to send you through nine months of counseling and inner healing, and send you, and then if you do good for enough period of time, if you give enough of your time, if you give enough of your money, if you say the right things, if you watch enough of the Jesus programs, if you, if, if you memorize enough verses, then and only then, if you go through our discipleship class, then we will welcome you as a brother, we'll welcome you as a sister once you jump through my hoops. But that's not what took place in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, within one single day, he was scared of the man and brings him in as brother at the same time. And it wasn't with sarcasm. And I love this. He lays hands on him. And, and, and what he's doing there is as he's laying hands on there, there is something about the power of touch. There's something about it when you get close to somebody enough to reach out and grab a hold of them that you don't know the hell that has been their week, but just in your presence and with your touch can mend so many wounds. Because I guarantee you Saul is expecting retribution in his life, but instead of a fist coming to his face, he has an arm around his shoulder saying, you're my brother. And I can imagine him going, how can you call me this when you know everything that I have done? But but here we are as followers of Christ. If we can, we can understand the power of the touch, we will understand how much freedom will come to those that we can love. You see, the power of the touch outdoes the power of the tweet so much more. Any cute words can be sent over on Facebook. Any, any good phrase can be sent by a text. But if I take my time out to get close to you and close enough where you can, can, can be close to me and, and I can be vulnerable to you and, and you can be vulnerable to me and we can have this moment where we can speak into each other's lives because the power of a touch will revolutionize somebody's life. And this is one of the biggest onslaughts on the, on the corporate church today is to get you to be okay with the power of being online 
versus the power of being close to somebody. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with you're out of town or you're driving on the road or you're sick or you're whatever. We get all that, but what we have to understand is that by being close to someone gives someone access, but that scares us. Because vulnerability is now rebuked in our lives versus being allowed to be healing. Jesus, listen, we have seen this time and time again in the New Testament where Jesus could send his word and healed him. Why didn't he just send his word? Why did, if Jesus showed up once to Saul, why not just show up a second time and take the scales off of his eyes? But, but no, what, what Jesus was communicating in this moment is, is that this man needs more than just a cute word. He needs somebody in his life. Everybody needs somebody in their life. The hardened man can say, I don't need anybody. I'm, it's me and God alone. And, and, and the woman who is, has gone through hell in her life has, made, has built up a lot of walls around her, her world because so many people have disappointed and caused so much pain. But hear me when I say that the power of closeness and the power of touch can restore more than the, than the, than the, the strength of isolation will ever do. The enemy wants you to be isolated. He wants you to believe that this is the only way. He's constantly telling you all the pain that people have done. He's constantly trying to bring you into the brink of falling apart so that you can always be alone because if he can get you alone, he can devour who you are. But when there's closeness and there's a, a power of the touch and, and I can lean over and I can grab your hand and, and we can lock arms together, then everything changes. Now, it brings back up the story in the book of Exodus when, when the children of Israel are fighting and, and Moses' arms are getting tired and, and every time he lowers his arms, they would lose and, and every time he'd raise his arms, they would win. But can I tell you, I, even though there's no weight in my hands, eventually my arms are getting tired. Has anybody ever been there before? When you're in a spiritual fight, when you're in a battle for your life, and you've been worshiping, and you've been praying, and you've been seeking God's face, but all of a sudden you're getting tired, and there's no big results, or maybe there's small results, but it doesn't matter because I'm doing this, and I'm getting exhausted, and then the two men show up. Because they recognized that when he was worshiping, we would win. And when he, his hands were going down, we would lose. He would recognize that when you would worship, there was benefit in my life. I want you to think about that for a second. When Moses would raise his hands, my life would succeed. And what would it be like if I had that same relationship with Matt? When Matt would be worshiping, I knew there was a personal benefit because of his freedom. And when Shonda was entering into the presence of God, I could rejoice because there would be breakthrough not only in her life, but also in mine. Because closeness creates connectivity with each other. So these two men walk up, and they hold up his arms, and he's exhausted, and he's tired, and they look at him and say, we will do the work for you so you can keep the fight. But without closeness, there was no touch. Ananias realizes that there's power in this touch. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight. That's what Jesus says. But notice what he adds. He adds a phrase that Jesus never said. 
In fact, go back to verse 11 for me, Lauren. Uh, Jesus, in verse 11, says this. He says that when you go, arise and go to the house uh, 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 of Tarsus, behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Period. And Ananias says, I have come that you may receive your sight and... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you love how in this moment he looks and and, and explains to him that Jesus wants you to have your physical sight and your spiritual sight simultaneously. Because without Holy Spirit in our lives, we have no idea of a spiritual relationship with God. Now, I'm going to make some people angry but you'll get glad in the same pants you get mad in. There is a misnomer in our world that you must be fluent in praying in tongues to receive the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues is an indication of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible tells me that being filled with the Holy Spirit produces fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that fruit isn't Shunala Bowtie, keys to my Honda. What that fruit looks like is a real life change. Now, I pray in tongues, and I believe in the power of tongues, and I believe in all of that. However, I will tell you this, that there has been this demonization, or I should say shame, that has been brought on so many people that if you don't do it like me, and in fact, if you don't pray it like me, then you don't have the Holy Spirit like me, and that is an absolute lie. Because there are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one thing that we have to realize is that you are a gift of the Holy Spirit because you have gifts of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And one thing I never want to happen at New Life is that because Elaine doesn't pray like I pray or because I shun a Labotai and and, and keys to my Honda and all the fun stuff that when I'm praying in tongues and she doesn't, that she's less, that I have more Holy Spirit than she does. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie, and it's based on this idea that I am more superior and you have to be like me. And that's not what the Word says. In fact, there's no indication in this exact moment that when Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit that he breaks out in tongues. But the Holy Spirit does this. He comes in to confirm the word of God, to convict us of his truth, and to comfort us in all seasons. And what we're realizing here is that Ananias doesn't just be happy with you getting your physical sight back. He's only happy when you have received everything that God has for him. How many church services did Saul go before he received the Holy Spirit? How many altar calls did he respond to? How many men of God did it take, apostles and prophets and evangelists, to to lay hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit? Where in this context does it say, and Saul, repeat after me, Shandala. If you can say it like I can say it, maybe it'll just kick in. As we're trying to to flood the engine full of fuel and crank start it. That's That's not how this works. 
We will never shame somebody because they don't do it like I do. Because I would much rather have a church that is full and passionate with the fruit of the Holy Spirit than a bunch of mimicking people who just babble because they think that's the right thing to do. Now hear me out. Praying in the Holy Spirit is powerful. And you, if you, listen, do it unashamedly. That's where it's unashamedly. Unashamed. However, I think the Holy Spirit cares more that there has been a life change in your fruit than what just comes out of the words of your mouth. And I would dare say that I can stand and shout down with the best of them, but if all my fruit is producing death, I have to question whether or not I'm actually filled with the Holy Spirit. Or if I just learned how to babble like a six-month-old. You guys with me? Because with Holy Spirit comes power. You know what the greatest power is, Bob? The power for you to change. That's a miracle. Any spouses know that. For their spouse to change is a miracle of God. And that comes with the Holy Spirit. And I love this. Brother Saul the Lord who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me. Every single person is on a road. Every person you work with, all your neighbors, all your co-workers, all your family members, everybody is on a road. And we are all in one moment of life or another in a collision course with Jesus, whether or not they seek you out or not. Saul never came to an Ananias. But the Holy Spirit pushed him to say, there's something that's taken place that you don't know about. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I stand here today to tell you, if the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, go pray for that person, go ask them about their day, go, go talk to them about their kids, go, go reach out to them and put your arm around them, maybe they're on a road that you don't know about. And Holy Spirit is leading you to say, I've lined them up and I've lined you up. And together when you go and you have the power of the touch, you're going to see them in that moment come to fruition being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget one of the most powerful moments in my life, oddly enough, happened at a Walmart. I had been praying a very dangerous prayer, and that prayer was that the Holy Spirit would use me in unconventional ways. You know, I had a thought on what that would look like. I thought that it would be like my shadow, because my name's Peter, and Peter's shadow cast on people, and they got, like, maybe it would be something like, cool like that, like you're just, you're minding your business, and all of a sudden somebody in wheelchair is like, oh my goodness, I'm like, it was me, it was my shadow, pull the tape, something. Or I would have these unbelievable visions and dreams and some, maybe I would go to visit heaven or Holy Spirit used me in a very unconventional way. And I would pray that and I would seek and I was, I was very passionate about that. And I didn't stop. I kept asking and asking. I want to put myself in a position that when he says go, I say yes. And I was in a Walmart on Six Mile Cypress in Fort Myers, Florida. And I am not anywhere close to being in the presence of God mood kind of a deal. You know, I'm thinking of groceries. I'm thinking of kids. I'm thinking, you're just, you're not, 
You're not praying in the spirit. I am, I'm just being honest with you. I wasn't doing anything that was spiritual. I was shopping. And this lady passed me as I passed her, and I knew in that moment, because I, I have learned when the Holy Spirit begins to move in my life, I get nervous. I don't know how you do it, but I get like butterflies, my heart races, and I'm like, something's not right. It, it's a toss-up between when I'm going to throw up and when God is moving. Like, it's that same, but something's not right. I got I to gotta prepare myself. And, and I knew I was good on the throw up, but it's that same feeling like something's not right. Uh, you know, like you're, you start to sweat. And so I, I'm walking past her and, and I knew in that moment, you've got a word. And so I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I'm going to sound like a crazy person. And when you, when you say that to somebody, they automatically assume you are a crazy person. So maybe... Choosing your beginning statements would have been better. And I said, I know this is weird, but do you, do you have any kids? Second part, don't go up to a strange woman and say, hi, do you have any kids? Like that, it's a second major red flag. And uh, she's like, maybe, <laughs> but they're not with me. I still didn't get like what I said in that moment, Matt. But, and I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I'm a pastor. Maybe this will help. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have been praying for God to use me, and this is all I hear. Your son's coming home, safe and sound. When I tell you that lady lost her mind in the bread aisle at Walmart... <laughs> screaming for the Holy Spirit, thanking Jesus, and one of those, like, she just, like, puts her hands on, <laughs> on the aisle, and, oh, but she was, like, as she's doing it, she's grabbing the bread and, like, destroying it. I'm like, oh, we're gonna have to pay for this, and, and so, like, I'm backing up because I'm so cheap, and I'm like, I didn't do this. That's on you, Jesus, so you better give her some money. I, I did, I, no, this is not on me, man. I did what I was supposed to do, and she is just, like, Come to find out her son at that moment was, was in uh, Afghanistan. And she, he was on a mission, and she hadn't heard from him in two weeks. And that was the longest stint that they had, had done. And so she just starts beginning to boo-hoo and fall apart. And then I begin to back up. <laughs> because now I'm not the crazy person in the Walmart. And people are walking by like, what did this guy just do to this woman? Because she is like, ah! like screaming and grabbing bread and people are just like mm, sticking their head around the aisles and and I'm like I'm gonna get arrested for assault or something like they're just no one's gonna believe me but can I tell you when you are with the Holy Spirit he will open doors that you don't understand I had no understanding of this lady's situation I had no idea what was taking place. But one thing I realize now in life is that she was on a path and I was on a path that was always orchestrated by Holy Spirit that there was going to be this moment where our intersection would cross. There are countless lives that have crossed in your path that you have let pass, pass through that God has ordained you to speak into. This isn't shame. 
I'm just awakening something inside of you because if you just have this random thought to call somebody and to pray for somebody or just to check in on them to see how they're doing, not because of gossip, but because you just had a random thought. I didn't see my church today. I wonder what's going on. Follow that path and connect because you don't know what God is doing in their life at the exact same time. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Paul regarded his conversion to believers in 1 Timothy where he says this, although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I found, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. However, for this reason, I have obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. If Paul's conversion for me is a a template for anything, it's first that Jesus must confront us with himself in our sin, in our rebellion, even if you did it ignorantly. Even if you did sin willfully, and even if you did sin ignorantly, sin is sin, and the Holy Spirit, well, that wasn't my fault, God. It is. But it is. Well, I didn't know what I was doing, God, does, does not matter. You can be ignorant of a, of a crime and still go to Jehovah. You can be ignorant of an issue and still get sued. Ignorance is not the answer. Do not close your Bible and go, if I just don't know what's in it, then I'm not responsible for what's in it. That's totally not true. Saul's conversion reminds us that at its core, salvation is something that God does in us. And all we're doing is responding to his work. And I think one of the greatest parts of this passage is it shows us how to respond to our enemies when God tugs on their hearts. Saul was an enemy to God and he was an enemy to the church. Ananias heard stories about this man and was terrified of this man. He was not his friend. He was not on the edge. He was terrified of this man. And what does he do? Puts his hands around him and says, Brother Saul, love through the Holy Spirit can radically change the world around you. In verse 20, immediately Saul preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard it were amazed and said, This is not he, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who were in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So Saul gets blinded, has the scales fall off of his life, goes to seminary for six years, 
once he graduates through seminary with his master's degree, then he goes back through a discipleship course. And then when he goes through his discipleship course, through some personal one-on-one development with his pastors for the next six more months, then he's able to stand in front of the strangers and preach the gospel. So why do we do that? Today's message is a little bit different because I would love interaction today. Not just amens, but let's have a dialogue. There's a couple of places today that I really would love dialogue. This is one of them. Why is it that I then, when somebody gets saved, want them to go through all of the courses in life before they are authorized, deputized, if you will, to minister the gospel? Any ideas? Religion? Saul did have a knowledge of scripture. So he did already had some groundwork, absolutely. But what else? You said religion, Connie. Yeah, what about religion? Um, we have our ideas about the way we think things should be done, and if mm-hmm. we separated from what yeah. God yeah. So, you know, if it's not in the word, why are we doing it? Yeah. We we do. We 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 do. And and I believe with all my heart, I know this is this is not the the most uh traditional message, but I feel like we're, it's time for us to have discussion. And if you're online, I have my phone, and you can text in something, and, and I'll do my best to, to, to read it on Facebook. Um, somebody else said trust. What do you got? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Trust. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Foundation. Foundation. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, but Ananias never heard a direct word that Saul was supposed to immediately go and preach. But that's the thing that I'm looking at. Here's the funny part. If Saul would have been converted in Jerusalem, changed his name in Jerusalem, showed up the next day in Samaria, no one would have thought two things about it. Because here's something that's crazy, is that information can create weight. Knowing somebody's past a lot of times can be celebratory as long as they don't surpass us without our hoops. I will celebrate your conversion as long as you don't outshine me. Because I was here first. And what I did, Matt, is I went as an intern, and I went to Bible school, and I went and got one master's degree, and I'm finishing up a second master's degree right now, and I've done this, and I've done that, and once you do what I do, then you can be where I'm at. But here's the kicker. There's a difference between me as a pastor 
throw in my random pulpit up here in front of the sheep for somebody to use, and another person going out and out there and ministering the gospels to everybody they've come into contact with. Those are two totally different things. Because on one hand, I'm not asking somebody to get saved and begin to pastor a bunch of people and lead them in the faith. But on the other hand, I think your testimony is immediately relevant to all people. Every single person needs your testimony. And the moment you lead somebody to Christ through the testimony of the believer, then at the same time, you can look at them and go and tell your story. Well, I don't know a bunch yet. That's okay. You don't have to know everything, but what you do need to know is exactly what Saul said. I preached Jesus. And what has he done in your life? But that's not what we think. We have this idea that it's only effective ministry if it's behind a pulpit and a camera. But the most effective ministry is not going to be here at a pulpit or here in front of a camera, but it's going to be in your cubicle and in your car and in your house and on your sidewalk and in your sports teams and with your, with your, your, your stay-at-home moms groups and whatever it is that's going on in your classroom. Those are effective ministries. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry which is out there. And while classes are great and discipleship tracks are fantastic and training tools are unbelievable, and I will never minimize any of that, we cannot wait for the perfect scenarios to preach the gospel to our family and friends. So I want to pull back this idea that I haven't earned my stripes enough and I'll just be silent until it's my turn. That's a lie. The moment somebody gets saved is the moment they need to declare who Jesus is. I'm not asking you to break down eschatology. I'm not asking you to talk to me about all of the stuff in your life or understand hermeneutics or homiletics. I'm not asking you to understand the doctrine of the Trinity or who Jesus was at every single moment in his life. All I need you to preach is what you were, B.C., and who you are after Jesus. And when they come up with, what about this? Be like, I don't know. All I know is Jesus crucified in my life. I love that immediately he began to preach. And Bob's right. He had a foundation of who the Messiah was supposed to be. And with that revelation came in to connect all of those dots. And the vast majority of people in this world, in our worlds, have a foundation in the Bible Belt of some basic knowledge of God. The idea that you're going to walk into somebody and be like, hey, do you know about Jesus? And they go, I've never heard the name. Is that my gardener? Like, no, that's not going to be what's going to be taking place. Everybody, and I'm saying this very loosely, everybody in the sound of my voice, if you talk to your coworkers and you mention the name of Jesus, they have a frame of reference. So what's stopping you today? Is it religion? Is it fear? Is it that the idea of insecurities that you don't know enough or they're going to ask a question is going to bring you uh, confusion? 
Is it the fact that you may fear that if I talk about God at work or if I talk about him in the, with my coworkers and my family that maybe my job is in jeopardy? What is, the, what, is the, what is bigger to you than doing the Great Commission? Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name? That's rough. I have a past. Does anybody else have a past? Does anybody else have a recent past? I have a recent past. And they're going to say the same thing. Is this not her who did what? Is this not he who did X, Y, and Z? Is this not she who has done this? He who has done that? Is this, who are you to tell me? And that's when the beautiful thing is, I'm not convicting you of anything. That's not my job. My job is to tell you that your life can be changed through Jesus, and I will allow him to do all the convicting. I don't need to sit down with you and be like, Elaine, you've been doing X, Y, and Z. You're going to hell. But what I do need to do is to connect you to the love of the Father. Verse 23, now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and, they, and as they watched the gates day and night to kill him, then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. After many days were passed, uh, in Galatians 1.13, uh, Paul uh, explains more about this, this many days means and how he described going to, for a period of time, to Arabia, and then returned back to Damascus, and then after his turn to Damascus, he went back to Jerusalem, and, and, and when you start adding in these different dates, that period of time is three years. This was not, and after a couple of days, three years, he lived this life. The Jews plotted to kill him, and essentially, this began many things that he must suffer for Christ's name's sake. But after three years on the run, I, I, I love this idea. The church, because Saul gets converted, is no longer persecuted. It's a great end, right? Saul, the mass murderer, gets saved, and they lived happily ever after. Because here's the thing that we have to understand is that my enemy is not Paul or Saul. My enemy is the spirit that was driving Saul to persecute. You know, in the book of Esther, uh, the Holy Spirit leads to, to say, if you don't do this, God will raise up another for you were created for such a time as this. Can I tell you, if I can be so loose to say, that uh, the, the, the devil has the same similar verse. If Saul gets converted, I'll get somebody else to persecute. Your enemy is not the person that's being deterred in your life. Your enemy is not the person that's posting anonymous things in your, on your social media. Your enemy is not a professor. Your enemy is not your coworker. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not your family. Your enemy is not your, your, your uh, in-laws or outlaws. None of those people. Can I tell you, your enemy is not who's in the Congress. It's not who's in the Senate. It's not who's in the White House. It's not who's in the governor's mansion. Your enemy is not those people, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
but against principalities and powers. And there is an heir that is doing its absolute best to squash you and to keep you small. It seems strange that the Christians in Jerusalem were so suspicious of Saul even after three years of him proving himself. But that's church, right? We, we move the, the bar. If you do X, Y, and Z, then we'll let you in. And then they get close to that X, Y, almost to Z, and then we move it a little bit further. And now you've got to do this new class. And if you do that class, then you've got to serve over here a little longer. And we're like, how many, how many times do we just create energy with no productivity? And this is what's taken place for, for three solid years. He had to prove himself, but they did not believe he was a disciple. They continued for 36 months to reject him. As one of their own. I think that would be a fair definition of church hurt. I have been proving myself for three years and it's still not good enough for you people. And you're isolating me and I can't go to the functions and, I'm, and you're talking about me and you're always telling me how bad I was. And that's the definition of church. Church hurt is not when you go and you, we don't play the song you like. Church hurt is not when I don't preach the messages or the style that you want. Church hurt is not because you didn't get elected to the, the, the board of, of the planning committee of the decorations or whatever it is. That's not church hurt. Church hurt is that when we do something opposite of our faith, and that is to be the enemy, which is to be fully a person that is condemning you even after your salvation. This is not what we have experienced and what we see on Instagram and social media, all these people who were church hurt because they, they <sighs> all right, we'll go there. I watched this video because I get bored. And it was of uh, Robinson, what's her name? Um, Phil Robinson's granddaughter preaches Sadie, Sadie, no? Sadie, yeah. And she's preaching about salvation. And she's talking about how sin is pleasurable for a season. Can anybody relate to that? And what she brings up is this, is that if I have pizza or I have cake every single day for every one of my meals, eventually I'm going to get a stomach ache. Can anybody grasp that concept? And I'm watching this lady pause her video and describe the church hurt because she's fat shaming her. Like she's not saying anything about you. Like there's nothing directed at you. The idea here is doing sin is going to cost you something. And she's like, just because I eat cake every day, like she's not calling you specifically out, lady. She doesn't even know you exist. But we live in a world that is continually trying to find a reason to be hurt. And they want to blame it on a church body. And the reason why I don't go to church anymore is because somebody said X, Y, and Z. Or because somebody's grandmama gave me a weird look. Or because uh, uh, Ken didn't greet me at the door the way that I think he should. Or because Pastor P didn't put his arms around me and read my mind that I needed an encouraging word. Or whatever it is. Guys, can I tell you, we are all humans walking through life. Sometimes we have the answers. And sometimes I'm a human with flesh and blood. Can anybody else get that? Have you ever ever had a bad day where you didn't do everything right? 
And did you want the entire world to judge you on your bad day? Or did you want the world to understand you had a bad day and give you grace? But yeah, we don't want to give grace out. We don't want to do that anymore. We want to be hurt. Because if I am hurt, I'm not responsible for my lack of action in my life. Church hurt is a real thing. It is a real thing. And I have seen churches use and abuse people before. And it is a tragic and sinful thing. But not everything is church hurt because Bob didn't give you a high five like he did last week. Yeah, okay. I have done my best to get fired, y'all, and still has yet to happen. Verse 23, now after many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They watched the gates day and night to kill him. The disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to them and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. This idea that Barnabas took him to the apostles has this idea of Barnabas standing up and going, I will give you my life if he isn't who he says he is. Think about that kind of relationship. I believe in Jesus and you so much that I will go through anything with you. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs an Ananias who believes in you when no one else will. But can I tell you, it's very, very difficult to have those relationships if you're never letting anybody into your life. And letting people into your life is a core part of walking this faith walk out. There's no way I'm getting into the next section. My wife isn't here, so she can tell me how long I've been preaching. All right. I'll finish this, this, this portion out. So he was with them at Jerusalem, with coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When his brethren found out, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Uh, I, I love all of this because as they sent him out to Caesarea and to Tarsus, they did this for his protection. These men were petrified of him. Now they're protecting him. And I need you guys to give you a scale because when we read the book of Acts, it seems like things are going boom, 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 boom. Okay? Saul gets converted, and for 8 to 12 years, this is where this verse ends. Right now, in verse, where are we at? Uh, verse 30, it has been 8 
to 12 years since this chapter started, kind of like my sermon series. If eight to 12 years from Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me to here he is now being sent out by the disciples? For eight to 12 years, he was obscure. He was hated by his own people and he was hated by the Jews. He wasn't trusted and he wasn't loved. And for 8 to 12 years, Saul, not yet Paul, Saul, for 8 to 12 years, serves faithfully. We see Paul after all of this. And we see him get saved and all of a sudden write the New Testament out and do all of these big, great things. But you got to realize that there was a season for 8 to 12 years where he wasn't on stages, where he wasn't doing anything crazy, where he wasn't the Paul that we all know and recognize. And for 8 to 12 years, he had a relationship with Jesus, even in obscurity. And he would just take the moments that were given to him. Can I tell you, for 8 to 12 years, Saul would walk and God would say, speak to Elaine. And he would speak to Elaine and, and you need to tell Savannah about Jesus and he would tell Savannah about Jesus and he would reach out to a Gladys and he would pray for her and it was these nickel and dimes but we have this idea that it's not successful until we have 10,000 people around us but it was in those nickel and dimes 8 to 12 years of small hearing the voice of God that it gave Saul the confidence later on in life that he could stand before the emperor himself and proclaim the word of Jesus. We all like the idea of the emperor experience. Can I tell you, I love the Paul who gets stoned to death and raises himself up from the dead. That's a boss move. I love the Paul who gets bitten by a snake, throws it into a fire, and keeps working. And everybody's watching to watch him die. And he just keeps moving on with his life. I love that guy. That's fantastic. How about the time where he gets stoned to death, comes back to life, goes back into the city that just killed him because he forgot his coat? It's a boss move. We love that. But what I don't like is the Saul for 8 to 12 years who is in the incubation period of walking with Jesus day in and day out. I don't like the time of the small beginnings of Saul. I don't like, can I say it, the waiting. I don't like this idea that we have to wait and see what happens. I don't like crockpot Jesus. I want microwave Jesus. I want the magic formula and potion to, to make me everything I want it to be. If I do it naturally, it'll take me six years, but eight to 12 years, but isn't there a, a rapid button? Like, can I just fast? Like, if I fast for 20 days, does that give me, like, accumulative time? If I pray every day for an hour, when, when we know that Josh only prays for 10 minutes, will I catch up with him if I keep doing it at my hour rate? How about this? If Elaine reads one chapter a day, and she's been reading one chapter a day, She's 92 years old. If she's been... <laughs> one chapter a day, and I read 10 chapters a day, how many days will it take for me to catch up with her knowledge? Y'all, this is not a math problem. 
It's a relationship problem. It's built on trust and it's built on experience. This is the guidepost so that we stay in the proper lanes. But it's not about memorization. Can I tell you this? The, the devil knows this thing cover to cover, yet he has no relationship. There's many a people who know stuff about this book, but they don't have relationship. The idea is not to have the speed express version of, of, of reading the Bible and all of a sudden I have all the knowledge of everything. No, read and understand, not so that you can have a stage or an audience, but read and understand so that I can better know my God. This past weekend, I was with, with Jess, and, and we're walking through, and she's like, oh, I like this, and oh, I like that, and we're, we're walking through Academy and um, Bath and Body Works and Target and some other stuff, and I'm as probably as discreet as a two-by-four, but she's like, oh, I like that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and I would just like take a photo, and I would walk somewhere else, and I would just take a photo, and I'm, I'm doing this, and she has her back turned to me. She goes, you know you're not smooth, right? <laughs> I'd already taken like 25 photos, and I thought I was being smooth. She's like, you're not... You're not being smooth. But each photo, each shopping experience, opens a new avenue of knowing her a little more. So that when Christmas time is coming, and we're doing, I'm not buying it, don't worry. And when Christmas time is coming, and we're doing all of our stuff, I have an understanding of what she likes. It comes with purposeful seeking out to have a deeper relationship with God. And we don't seek out just so that I can have a portfolio of information about God, but so that I can actually understand what he truly wants, what he's looking for. And that only comes by spending time. For 8 to 12 years, Saul spent time with God, and his incubation time was not wasted. And neither should yours. The time that you are spending with God is not meant to be laborious. It's not meant to have you do a task. It was not meant to do your check-off list of I spent my time with God today. But it's meant so that you can have a deeper walk so that when he speaks, you know his voice with confidence and clarity that comes with relationship. We'll talk about this the rest of this next week. Uh, do me a favor, though, when you guys go home, read the rest of this, the rest of Acts chapter 9. It's not much longer, I promise. I'll finish it next week. Promise. I promise. If I don't, I promise. I got it. It'll be fine. I promise. But I think we're going to start diving into some things. So here's what I'm going to tell you for next week. Uh, when it comes to this, go ahead and begin to, to be a, 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 put your Bible nerd hat on. Look up some of the Greek words if you want to. Dive into Acts chapter 9, the rest of it. It's only a few verses. And see if you're, if, what Holy Spirit ministers to you about. And then we'll begin to apply that back. And you'll go, I heard that same thing. And that spoke to me. And it's that small way of hearing his voice. That confirmation over and over again. Lastly, as we guys exit, understand this. You are authorized and you are deputized to share the gospel today. You do not need any more training 
But today is the day that you are sent out like missionaries to a mission field to minister to the hurting and the broken, to speak freedom to the captives and to heal the brokenhearted. That is your job. And that only comes when you speak Jesus to people. Can you do that this week? Holy Spirit, we thank you for an incredible time today. We thank you that as we study the, the Acts chapter 9 and the, the beginning of Saul, that, that you begin, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. You speak to us in our small beginnings. You speak to us in our current season. You speak to us in, in all things because you are, are, are wanting a healthy relationship with us. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you that as you want this relationship, that we respond with yes. Yes to you. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. And I thank you that we are very active today and looking for the crossroads and intersections of the other people in our lives that you have sent our way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Help be blessed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.